This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe at whatever you're watching on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. From Steelers Nation South, Rollo Coffin. And we have a, a special guest panelist, uh, Nicole Fauci. I'm sure you've seen her on our prior show. And uh, she's uh, part of the Epson tour, so she's going to fit right into this debate perfectly tonight. But our special guests were joined by uh, LPGA alum. She also played on the Futures Tour from 87 to 91. She's got five uh, career professional wins. She's a Florida Gator, so we, we, we love our Floridians down here. 1986, she's uh, All-American first team. She's a two-time All-American overall. Uh, she's won the Individual National Championship and was the recipient of the Broderick Award given to the best woman athlete in their sport. So we got Gator Hall of Famer here, Paige Dunlap. Paige, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Uh, you, you did your homework, so I uh, I really appreciate that. It takes me back uh, a long <laughs> way. And, uh, those were good days. A lot of fun. Uh, we, we we love the orange and blue here, so <laughs> I do at least. I don't know about the yeah. other guys. They could. They yeah, they may Seminoles. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they could be. Uh, what is it? Uh, pewter and and cranberry or whatever that is. Yeah, <laughs> so, whatever. Seminole. Yeah. That's but anyways, we'll have our Q&A for Paige afterwards, of course. So tonight's debate is going to be the greatest women's golfer of all time. And if you're a fan of women's sports, go in that archives. We've done the greatest women's racer, uh, tennis player, soccer defensive players. We, so we're, we're adding to that list here tonight. And, and we're going to start out with Mickey Wright. Okay, Mickey Wright. Uh, I mean, a super OG of women's golf. Uh the LPGA was formed in 1950, and she burst onto the scene in 1955 and, you know, really became the first star of the LPGA. Uh, Mickey was on the LPGA tour for 15 seasons, and she ultimately had to retire much earlier than she wanted to because of nagging injuries with her feet. But during that abbreviated career, uh, she won 82 LPGA uh, events, which is still the second most all-time. And she won 13 majors, which is also second all time. Uh, from 1956 to 1969, she had a streak of 14 seasons with at least uh, one LPGA championship. And in both 1963 and 1964, she was the Associated Press's Female Athlete of the Year. So that's across all sports. Uh, and the pro golf legend, uh, Ben Hogan, well, we all know Ben Hogan, absolute legend. He once called her the swing, called her swing the best that he had ever seen. Uh, in, in 2009, Golf Magazine ranked her as the eighth greatest golfer of all time, uh, the greatest female ever. So not bad for a lady whose career was cut short. Uh, you know, had she stayed relatively healthy, who knows? Uh, because she, you know, she had to retire when she was 34. Uh, some of the other ones on this list tonight, they went to, you know, up into their 40s. So uh, perhaps her records never would have been, been eclipsed. So, Paige, I, I come to you here. M my first question is, because I'm also representing an older player here a little bit later. Okay. Is the competition maybe a little weaker back in the day than than what it was, you know, maybe for Annika, who we're going to talk about too, but, and, and even today, was the competition not as strong as it is today? Right. I, I think, you know, that is clearly an issue that you'd have to look at in terms of uh, what, who they were competing against uh, during the 50s uh, compared to what Annika's career was, you know, all through the late 90s and into the 2000s. Uh, equipment uh, has improved greatly 
uh, just the stature of uh, players, their fitness, um, the golf courses that we're playing now and and uh, in the 90s was clearly golf courses were in better shape. But yeah, I would say when you look at Mickey Wright and you, you look at Patty Berg and their careers, uh, both of them, you know, blazed a trail for all the rest of us who went on to, you know, play after them. Same with Kathy Whitworth. But uh, the level of competition was not what it was, what it is now, what it is today, for sure. And I, I don't know if you'll know this or not, um, but so we had uh, we had Diana Crump uh, on. She was the first woman to ever race in the Kentucky Derby. And she yeah. got a lot of uh, go back into the kitchen comments, things like that. Were women in golf at that time receiving that, that kind of, you know, feedback? Or do you know about that at all, maybe? You know, that's a good question. I, I imagine they did just because it was prevalent in every uh, area of society and in work. You know, women at that point in time, we're talking about just post-World War II. Um, they were still working in the home, were not uh, career-oriented like they are now and need to be, you know, given the economy. So yes, I'm sure that they had to withstand some of those comments uh, that were, were made. You know, I'm fortunate enough to be just at that age where when I, my first years on tour, Kathy Whitworth was still playing. Uh, we played the sprint event in Tallahassee. Mickey Wright was there. Um, my last U.S. Open in 96 was uh, at Pumpkin Ridge. And uh, Patty Berg was there. So, and also when I was in high school, Patty Berg was still doing clinics going around the country and, you know, garnering all kinds of uh, real support for the LPGA and just women's golf in general. So I had an, an opportunity to meet all of these players and especially, you know, Wit because she was really out on tour when I was still playing. And um, so, you know, you, you could appreciate and understand that they had really set the table for all of us and that their careers were enabling uh, the rest of us to go on and, and, you know, have the OPG tour in the state that it is today is because all the things that they withstood to start the tour. And in, in, if you look back when Patty Berg was first, you know, getting things going, because she really was the engine behind it, it all, Patty Berg. Uh, and she had just a, a charismatic personality that was second to none. And there, there couldn't have been a better ambassador for the tour than Patty Bird because she just was the, uh, the, the light in the room. She was hilariously funny and tremendously successful. So, you know, it takes those special kinds of people to uh, take on a venture like the LPJ Tour and make uh, women's golf a reality, professional women's golf a reality. Yeah. Well, keep what you just said in mind when we vote later, what you said about Patty, because I'm representing Patty later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let, let's move on to uh, Kathy Whitworth. Kathy Whitworth. <clears throat> uh, Kathy Whitworth was from Monaghan, Texas, and she turned pro in 1958. She went to the LPGA Tour, and based off her career wins, you would think she would have came on and had like gangbusters, but she didn't. She actually didn't win her first LPGA event until 1962. 
But from 1962 to 1985, she won 88 LPGA events. During that time period, she had more than any woman or man that was on the PGA or LPGA tour. She also was runner-up 93 times. So she finished first or second 181 times in her career. She had six wins in a major LPGA events. She finished second twice. Uh, she was the eight-time LPGA Tour Player of the Year, uh, seven-time Bear Trophy uh, given to the top golfer with the lowest scoring average, seven times. She was the AP Female Athlete of the Year twice and won the Patty Berg Trophy in 87. She was also the first LPGA to earn $1 million in 1981. She was named Golfer of the Decade for the years of 1968 to 1977 by Golf Magazine. And she was also enshrined in the World Golf Hall of Fame in 1975. <clears throat> she also is in four different Hall of Fames, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, New Mexico Sports Hall of Fame, the Texas Golf Hall of Fame, and the Women's Sports Foundation Hall of Fame. Give her her due, give her her due. She's got the numbers, she's got the accolades, and she has the money. Yeah, hey, money talks on this show. I'll give you that for sure. So Paige, you, you said you've actually uh, played with Kathy. So uh, obviously this was in her later years, but what were her, like, tell us about her game. What were her strengths? Did she have any weaknesses? Because I, I believe she won the most uh, tournaments that we're talking about tonight. I, I, if I'm thinking correctly. Right. So, you know, Kathy Whitworth has the most, uh, LPGA victories in, I believe it's 88, and he's, he's right, right, 93 seconds. So we're looking at like 150 some odd top twos. It's just incredible what her career was like. Um, you know, by the time uh, I was on tour and Kathy was playing a little bit, she was, you know, well into her 50s and uh, just had this beautiful, long, flowing golf swing, beautiful putting stroke. She just was this elegant Texan, right? Uh, most beautiful blue eyes. And one of the more um, approachable, kind people you could ever meet. Um, there was not, you know, there are some players that just are intimidating. Uh, Wit was not like that. She was just uh, very welcoming. You always felt like you could talk to her. And um, her game was beautiful. You know, you, you look back at some of the old clips of, of her playing and uh, her game was still beautiful in, in her fifties and, and still hitting it fairly long, not as long as the, you know, the young powerful kids were, but uh, yeah, just a, a really beautiful game just had this elegant uh, golf swing and it kind of permeated through the rest of her game too. Good short game, great putting stroke. Uh, so yeah, that's what I remember. So we're going to move on to the player tonight that if you're an, an average golf fan, this is probably the name that you, you know tonight. Let's let's move on to Annika. Yeah, I mean, Annika, where, where do you start with her? She's just unbelievable. So I have some notes here. Um, so obviously, like you said, she's probably one of the more recognizable names uh, in this, this day and age, uh, especially for women's golf, for sure. Uh, she was born in Sweden in 1970. Um, she actually started uh, junior golf, I think, at 12, and she had a really successful college career. She uh, played for the University of Arizona, and she actually won the NCAA individual title as a freshman, which was a uh, first uh, for a freshman and for a foreigner, because she wasn't from there. Um, she quickly burst on the LPGA scene in the early 90s. Uh, she got the Rookie of the Year award right away without even a win. She had so many top twos and a few top tens as well. 
Um, I mean, total, she has 72 LPGA wins uh, with 10 majors, which is just crazy. I mean, that's just not, you don't hear that anymore. <laughs> and uh, she had 17 wins on the European tour as well. And I know she had a couple others on like other professional tours. I think she has something around like total like 90 something wins, but I know the LPGA is 72. Um, she has eight player of the year awards. That's untouchable, I think, in my opinion. Um, and obviously, you know, the iconic 59 that she shot, I and mean, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, that was on March 16th of 01. Uh, it was round two of the standard register ping event in Phoenix, Arizona on Moon Valley Country Club. That was just crazy. And she had like eight birdies in a row, I believe, on that round. It's unbelievable. Um, in 308 starts, she only missed 10 cuts. It's like Tiger Woods-esque kind of right there. I mean, that's pretty special. Um, she was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame at the age of 33. So was, still she had, she played for a long time after that. At that time, she had 47 LPGA wins. So she went on to win like 20 something more after that. Um, and obviously just recently, she, uh, she came back out of retirement and won the 2021 US Senior Women's Open. So she's, she still looked like just on fire right now at her age. And I mean, her, her early career was just crazy. I remember kind of watching the tail end of it when I was really young and just being like, she's, she's something really special. She's definitely easily, obviously one of the best players ever in men's and women's golf. So Soren Stam, if, if you want to learn more about that, that 59 that she shot, we did discuss mm -hmm. that on a prior show with Olympic gold medalist Tessa Gobo. So check that out in the archives uh, page. So Annika, I, I'm a firm believer that she had retired too early because I think she would still be the best women's yeah. golfer if she was out there right now. She's that good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you played with her. Uh, your, your thoughts on her, her dominance, which was really for like a 20 20 year span. I mean, it just never ended. Yeah. Well, really good point. Um, I think she, she retired early because uh, much like a Mickey Wright in the sense that she was so dominant for such a long period of time and, you know, carrying that stress of uh, trying to, to stay at the top and win every week can, can be a lot. And I think, you know, her, her divorce from David was, uh, you know, difficult. And then, you know, she took on the whole challenge of playing a, a PGA tour event at, uh, at congressional, not, not congressional in, in Texas at colonial. And, uh, so it's, there were just, she did so many things. I think, uh, there it's unquestionable that she is the greatest player in, in our generation for sure. And, you know, we'll debate that at the end of, of the other candidates, but, um, Yes, I have a lot to say about Annika. One of the things that people don't know about Annika is that, you know, her first year on tour, she didn't have uh, exempt status. So she had conditional status, which meant that she didn't get in in every event. And I knew that status because I was in that status the year before. So, and I was slightly in that status after the reshuffle in 95. So you could two spot on a Monday if you weren't in the event. And so... If we, I think we had like 25 events that year, she may have gotten in 15, which meant, you know, there were 10 more that she would have to qualify for on a Monday. She qualified now in two spots and I usually have about 30 players. She two spotted every single time, won the qualifier on that Monday every single time. And then went on, you know, 
to make the cut, finish in the top five frequently that entire year. So uh, it was just that the following. So that, I believe that was in 94 or five. And then the following summer, she won the U.S. Open. So that changed everything. But it didn't, it didn't hold Annika back. And the fact that she qualified every single time on a Monday was just amazing. You, she never had a bad day on a Monday that she was that motivated. She was driven, quiet, reserved, uh, painfully shy. Uh, to see Annika blossom into this incredible ambassador for the LPGA Tour is one of the, the greater things that, that I've seen. Uh, she's uh, really ex extended herself like no other and uh, has been, uh, I, I think you would say maybe taking the torch from someone like Patty Berg, who started it all, and now it's in the hands of people like Annika Sorenstam. So who, you know, the fact that she's Swedish too is a is a kind of a an amazing thing because she's a worldwide ambassador, maybe not just an ambassador for the for the LPGA Tour. But uh, yeah, if you look at Annika's career and you know you compare it with you know the four that the three others that we're looking at today but really when when you you know the history of the LPJ tour you look at Mickey Wright as that standard of excellence and then you compare Annika's career with Mickey's career and you you start to delve into it and you're just even more impressed with what Annika did in her time as a as a tour player and you know, it's great to see that even now that she's retired, that she has come back now to play some senior events, raising her children and still super uh, involved in the game. So she's uh, she's doing her part. And then some I'd say. Yeah. So the, the tough question. Oh, yeah, I just recently named that tournament after her um, locally in the um, Pelican. They named yeah. it after her, the Annika. Which awesome. I'm so excited. For I know. It's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. So so the tough the tough question here for you, Paige. She's played a couple times against the men. Her accuracy is actually better than Phil Mickelson's. Uh I, I've done research on this. A lot of a lot of the men's golfers, she has better accuracy. She doesn't have the distance, of course, but for some players, accuracy is better than the distance. But could she have competed? If she had played full time in in the men's, would, would she have won a tournament here and there, or would she be middle of the pack in the men's? On the PGA Tour, you mean? Yes. No, she wouldn't have been able to compete on the men's tour. Uh, it just simply the golf courses are too long, and uh, when she played at, at Colonial in in Texas and Fort Worth, she picked the absolute perfect golf course that she could possibly compete at, and she mm -hmm. played well. Uh, did. Annika did not, uh, she didn't curve the ball very well. And we simply don't have the swing speeds in order to impart the kind of spin on the golf ball to make it climb and to make, and that's why the men are so much better than women in terms of ball striking. Um, even, you know, it's, it's still not equitable. And Laura Davies made this point to that, if the LPGA were to play golf courses at an equitable length, meaning, you know, the men are hitting it 310, 320, you know, that long now. So essentially all par fours or all par fives are reachable in two for them, almost all of them. So four. So when they're teeing off, essentially par is almost 68. On the LPGA tour, we, we're not 
we're not seeing that. Uh, we might get home in one or two, I mean, even people like Nellie, you know, now who are really long and, you know, she's competing in some, some PGA tour events. She did it this off season. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation is how good she really is because she's able to actually create speeds in the hundreds and therefore she can hit the ball higher, softer, with more spin. Annika can't do that. She couldn't do it then. And she can do it even less now because she's 53. So uh, no, even on her very, very best day on the very you know best golf courses, it'd be very, very difficult for her to compete and win at, at their, at their level. And that's why. Well, let's move on to our final player tonight. And that is the great Patty Berg. Uh, born in 1918, so she is like the OG of this show tonight. Like, so we're going way back. Sadly, passed in 2006. Um, she's got 60 wins all time on the tour. That has her fifth all time, which is actually last tonight. I, I, I will throw that. That's 12 behind Annika, who who is in third here tonight. But, uh, however, though, when it counted, when it counted most, Patty is the goat. 15 majors and. You know, I hate to say that that golf is all based off of majors, but that's what everybody talks about. It's the majors, it's the green jacket, you know, things like that. So she is the goat when it comes to that, um, and that she is that includes the first ever woman to win the U.S. Open there in 1946. So her awards are numerous, uh, including the 1990 she won the Patty Berg Award. So it was named after her, and she didn't even win it till 1990, which I thought was. Kind Kind of weird there's like 15 right. winners before her um but uh yeah so named after her and that's given to the individual who exemplifies uh diplomacy sportsmanship goodwill and contributions to golf um she's also won the bob jones award which is golf's highest honor um that they consider it the highest honor in golf so um the associated press named her three times as the female athlete of the year and as brian said earlier that's not just for golf that's for every woman's sport um, so that's a, a, a great uh, stat to have for her, of course. Uh, she's the first president and founding member of the LPGA. Uh, so she's got those accolades going. Um, if you don't think that she was the best on the course because her win total is a little lower tonight, I mean, I encourage you to look at the majors, of course, but you have to at least maybe look at her as golf's biggest contributor for women. So throw that into when you're thinking about who to vote tonight, uh, the contribution to golf that, that this woman has given. Um, and, and I'm just going to say it one more time, 15 majors. Okay. So tell, tell us, tell us about uh, Patty, obviously well before your time, well before all of our times, but uh, just an, a, a true ambassador for the game. No question. There's no greater ambassador for the game than Patty Bird. I mean, she is synonymous with the LPGA Tour. She is the founder. I mean, there's 13 founders, but she is the founder. And without her, I don't believe it would have gotten off to the start that it did and become what it is today. Uh, I had the great honor of seeing Patty Bird do a clinic. You know, she did 16,000 clinics, I think it was. It was a ridiculous number of clinics. No, 1,600. 1,600 clinics that she did around the country. Uh, you know, promoting the game uh, for the LPGA. And I was able to attend one of those that was right here in Sarasota at the Meadows. It was probably about 1978, I'm guessing. 
And she couldn't have been more funny. Uh, she drew a huge crowd. She was such a character and had a beautiful golf game, just a beautiful golf swing. She was amazing. Uh, most of the players in that era, they kind of had this beautiful weight shift and, you know, really used their legs really well and kind of covered the ball beautifully. And she did all those things. So my last U.S. Open I mentioned was in 06 or in 96. And I actually followed her around a little bit and, uh, you know, chatted with her a little bit in the locker room because she would come to the U.S. Open every year and greet all the players that were playing in the U.S. Open. And, uh, and I got to chat with her that, that day. And one year we were in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and she was there for that event. It was the LPGA championship. And I'd come out of the trailer and she was there. And I said, Mrs. Bird, would, uh, would you sign my hat? You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And, and she's, I was being sponsored by Titleist. And she said, uh, I'm, I'm Wilson. And I, don't, I only sign uh, anything that's with Wilson. And she spent her entire career uh, sponsored by Wilson. I, I said, no, I, I'm not sponsored by Wilson. She goes, and she signed it, Patty Wilson Berg. So I, I so <laughs> she was quite a character. There's no one like her. She was just amazing. And w w I re as I look back, one of the beautiful things about YouTube is you can, you know, go back and see in the archives some of these great videos of them, you know, playing in the 1964 U.S. Open or you know, whatever tournament it is, these great golf swings. And um, she just, uh, she just really embodied exactly what you would want in somebody who is going to lead, lead the LPGA tour. So I, I, I think Patty Berg is just phenomenal. And uh, I, I think we're really lucky to have uh, had her as, a, as the ambassador for the game and having won 15 majors that, definitely puts her at the top it makes you realize just how amazing Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus really are because at 15 and 18 against the competition that they had it's uh it's it's amazing because you know Mickey's right behind her at 13 but Annika only has 10 and I think that is uh indicative of just how good the competition has gotten over time and just how deep the LPGA Tour really is. Well, one more accolade for Patty. She also played against the men, uh, I think it was twice. So just throw that out there. But uh, did she? Yeah. Me yeah. and Babes, I think, did, did a little bit of that together. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into our vote tonight. And, and Brian, we, we, we say this all the time. Like, oh, this is this is this is a tough vote. But tonight, like, it, it really is 1A, 1B, 1C. So. Uh, but you're you're up first. Pressure on you there. Oh, absolutely. This is really really difficult, and you're really splitting hairs here. Um, it, it, to me, I think I feel like Annika is the best golfer, the pure golfer we're talking about. But I think you have to include everything, all the contributions and everything, and you got to go with Patty on this one, um, just because of without her where where is women's golf you know i mean just 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 a vital um uh component to the sport and where it is today and and just a reminder can't vote for your own guys of course so um i'm i was torn between all three of them tonight obviously i'm going to say patty's the best because i'm representing her but um between Mickey and Annika is really where I'm torn. And I think I'm actually going to go Annika. And it's for one reason. <laughs> she shot a 59. <laughs> that, 
that's incredible. Like I double that sometimes when I'm yeah. out there on the course. So, you know, that I mean, argue with a 59. That's yeah, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it was such a such a great feat that it actually won our prior show where we were doing greatest summer performance. Um, it was just an incredible story, and I only maybe what three men I think have ever shot 59. So it that's just that's a crazy accomplishment. I'm I'm going with Annika. Rollo. <clears throat> so this boiled down between Mickey Wright, because she was dominant for so for so short a time and Annika Sorenstam, but I gotta go with Annika because she actually played at the Colonial National Invitational. And if you know, those are like 125 of the best golfers in the world in the on the PGA tour. And she beat 15 of them. She came in 96, but she beat 15 of the best golfers in the world. So she gets my vote. Nicole. This is tough. I'm not going to lie. And honestly, Annika, I can't vote for her, but I kind of have a soft spot for her. I just adore her. Um, I'm going to have to go with Patty Burke. No, I know. Only because, you know, the majors, of course. And obviously, because she, like Paige said, she really was just the start of the LPGA. And you can't really go wrong with that. So that's what I'm voting for. Okay. So, Paige, we, we come to you. You can vote for any of them. You can break the tie however you want to go. You're the professional. That's why you're used to the pressure. So, <laughs> who are you taking? Well, <clears throat> you know, when I was touted with this task by you, um, Mickey Wright has always been the beacon uh, to me as the greatest female golfer, the greatest golf swing, uh, really the one that I looked up to as um, – as the player, uh, but having really now looked at the careers of, of all these women, and you know they're all amazing. Uh, Annika's she won the Bar Trophy, I think it was six times. That's other than Kathy Whitworth, that's the most. But she also has the lowest scoring average at sixty eight point eight, I think, and she's won. 72 times on the LPGA Tour, but she's won 97 times worldwide. So in this era, to have won that many times, to have won the VAR Trophy with the lowest scoring average, she's won it six times. She's been player of the year eight times. Um, she shot 59. She's played on the PGA Tour. I think it really is uh, solidified by those accomplishments that Annika is the best player, that who's ever played on the LPGA tour. Uh, so I would have to give her the nod, even though I put Mickey Wright way up there in terms of um, her golf swing, her fundamentals, just everything about what she did. And uh, she was also very, very quiet, you know, much like Annika. And when she retired, she stepped away almost permanently. And so uh, to get interviews with Mickey Wright later in her uh, life was, was a feat. And uh, she was, I won't use the word reclusive, but she was, she was difficult to, to get to. And uh, Annika is staying uh, front and center involved and promoting the game. Not that, you know, Mickey should be condemned for not, but um, I think the fact that Annika is giving so much of herself to the game, promoting the game is, uh, is great. And uh, I think you'd have to look at her career and say, yeah, so far, at, at this point, so far, it's the best there ever was. And, uh, you know, I give her the nod. 
So Nicole, your first show and you get a win. Good for you. That's that's, that's the way to roll. Better than that. And it, it, it makes sense that the woman who wins was the one that got to play with Titanium while the rest of us had to represent wood clubs. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that didn't help our cause any. But uh, so, Nicole, you get first question tonight in our Q&A for Paige, and then we'll go Rollo, Brian, me. Oh, my gosh. I have so many questions because you did exactly what I want to do. <laughs> right? So let me think. I'd say what is I'm going to make this kind of simple, but because I don't want to like overwhelm it, but what is life on tour like? Like what is, what is the grind like? Cause I know it's, it's so much different, obviously. And it's, it's your profession, it's your job. So what is, what is it like out there? Yeah. Life on tour is nomadic. Um, I think what's really important is that you, uh, I, I would say the second year on tour is always easier than the first because you know where you're going, you know where to stay, you know who your caddy is, you, you know, you kind of get a feel for it as, as the years go on and it does get easier. You may stay with families in, in this place or at this event and you stay in a hotel or another and you, you get more comfortable with that. Uh, I think it's important that you know which tournaments to play which ones to sit out. You can't play every week consecutively. You need certain breaks. So you have to figure that out as it goes. And um, it, uh, it, it, as I look at the LPGA now, I think I was counting up their events. It's 35 now with the total purse of many, many millions. So it's, uh, it's hard to turn down tournaments when you're playing for that much money, but you have to, give your body, your mind, your spirit, the chance to rejuvenate after you've played so many weeks in a row. For me, it was four. I could never play more than four. I needed to go home. I needed to, you know, kiss the dog and, and feel my stuff and uh, all of that. So it's, uh, it is, it is nomadic. It's exciting. It's a great journey. I know that when I first started playing, I felt like I was on this great adventure and I was able to play all over the world and get to see a lot of that of the world, which was one of the great perks of playing on tour. And then um, once I got on the LPJ tour, same thing, you know, you're in a different city every, every week and uh, you, you've got to find that, that family, that your group of friends, you, I think you really count on your uh, nucleus of friends or your team or whoever that might be. And you find some really good friends to be with. And because even though it is like a traveling circus, you know, there's 144 of you, uh, you have to have a small group of very close, good friends that you can count on. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I kind of make a good point with um, you said how like the second year is easier. I just went to Q school for the first time last year. And my dad was like, yeah, I think next year will be like more kind of easier and easier to process because you've been there in the courses. So that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It always is easier and you'll get more comfortable with it the more you do it. And um, yeah, just uh, you got to go through it. There's no there's no easy way um, to help somebody. You got to experience it. But be prepared, Um, you know, check the weather before the week is is arrives know you know what you're going to be faced with the the more knowledge you have the better you are prepared and you know so just 
prepare yourself with all, all the knowledge you possibly can and surround yourself with people that you really trust and love. Thank you for that answer. That was really awesome. Go ahead, Rallo. Paige, you won the uh, 86 uh, national title in individual golf, and you were also inducted into the National Golf Hall of, uh, Coaches Hall of Fame. Which one of those accolades to you do you hold more dear uh, to, you, to your, your heart? Well, that's easy. Uh, the, the national championship in 86, I shared that with a team championship. So not only did I win the individual national championship, we won it as a team at Florida. And we were at the Scarlet Course in, uh, in Ohio, at, at Ohio State. We, we won, uh, we beat Miami and we kind of came, no, we didn't. Yeah, we did. We came from behind the last day to kind of solidify the victory. So being able to celebrate an individual victory with my team and we had won it the year before too. So it was back-to-back -back national championships for Florida. So those were really the glory years. I had great teammates and uh, great coach and just, just the best school. You know, I had an opportunity to go to school at a number of different, you know, places. And I didn't want to go to Florida because my brother was there and he was playing golf. He was two years older than I was. He was on the men's golf team. I'd follow Scott through school my, my entire life. So you know, I visited Georgia and Texas and SMU and other schools. And, and uh, I kind of thought I was going to go to SMU and I saved my last visit to go to Florida. And when I got there, I was just so blown away by uh, the support of the, uh, the coaches, the administrators, the trainers, all the facilities. It was just, boy, you know, my heart was bleeding orange and blue by the time I left that weekend. And I knew that, that that's where I wanted to be. And I, uh, I never looked back. I, I knew it was the best, best decision I ever made. I think I would have been happy anywhere I went. But uh, to be able to be at Florida and, and play for the Gators was just the greatest four years. Paige, uh, viewership for women's golf, it went up 32% from uh, 2021 to 2022, uh, according to the Golf Channel. And according to the National Golf Foundation, the percentage of women on the course is up 25%. Um, how can women's golf keep this momentum going? And would you have any suggestions for them to gain any more, even more popularity? Great question. That's interesting statistics. I didn't know that. But I can see it happening. I, I think if there was anything good of COVID and some of the shutdowns, it was that golf had a, a rejuvenation in popularity with, you know, across the board, not just women. But women were a huge part of that. So I think we've made it a mission to make golf more accessible for women to come out and feel comfortable doing. Uh, women's golf leagues, uh, the business, the women's business league uh, so there are different organizations that are trying to bring women out onto the golf course uh, to where they feel like it's a less threatening environment and I also think top golf is it, there's there's a number of things uh, they're trying to do little legs where it's just three holes or if it's just a scramble and so all of those things I think are factors um, I think uh, it's, I think, across the board that we are trying to be more inclusionary of women in all avenues of sport and all avenues of business. So I think that those things 
where golf is concerned will continue. I think we will see more women. I don't know what else uh, we could do uh, other than some of the things that we're doing now. Um, but, you know, people like Annika and I think too, you know, if you look at the LPGA tour, it's never been in a better place. You've got uh, great players who um, are, uh, speak well, uh, are attractive, um, incredibly powerful, uh, engaging. I think the one thing the, the LPGA Tour does really well is they engage their fans. Um, they've, they've had to because it's part of the, the mission to, you know, grow the tour is you have to be uh, interacting with your sponsors and the, your fans and where the PGA Tour is pretty pretty set, pretty solidified, and it doesn't have to work so hard. The LPGA has worked hard at those things. And I think they're reaping the benefits of that, but just the fact that their their best players are so great at all of those things. They're, you know, the Lexi Thompsons, the uh, the Jin Young Coes, the Lydia Coes, the, the Corda sisters, they're, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're not just amazing golfers, they're amazing people. And um, thus far, they've, you know, kind of steered away from some of the controversies that we are maybe seeing with the, with the PGA Tour and Live Golf and, and some of that. So um, right now, I, I see the LPGA is continuing to grow. And uh, I think as the LPGA Tour grows, I think women in, in getting involved in the game, I think that grows as well. So your, your coach at Florida, uh, Mimi Ryan, she is the founder of Ladies Golf at, at Florida, University of Florida for the Gators. Uh, what did it mean to you? I know you went on to coach at Vanderbilt. So what did it mean to you to, you know, not just join her in the Gators Hall of Fame, um, but you also joined her in that Coaches Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, what did you learn from her that you use in your coaching? Coach Ryan was a pretty hands-off coach in the sense that uh, she really allowed you to uh, be who you were and she didn't force any of her you know thoughts or techniques or but, but she did bring in some of the best people the best trainers the best sports psychologists and so I, I incorporated you know that in my coaching when I was when I was at Vanderbilt for sure um, bringing in people to help us be a better team individually, everybody better makes us a better team. So I, I incorporated that. Uh, she's still uh, a great friend and a mentor. And, you know, we were trying to get together with all of her team. I was all of her teams over the years, right before COVID hit, I planned a real special birthday, surprise birthday party. We had people flying in from all over the country and then COVID hit and it didn't happen. So that was disappointing, but yes, she, uh, she is a real icon at Florida and uh, she had a great career there and no one's come close to it since. And we're rooting for Emily to, uh, to, to win her first national championship there. And, you know, it's, it's harder now than ever to get kids, you know, to stay for four years and um, kind of build that team unity that's necessary to win a national championship. And uh, it's getting even more difficult because this is a whole nother show for you, Michael, but it's getting even more difficult because now with the transfer portal, uh, when, you know, someone's not happy, they just, they transfer. 
So college, college golf has got its own issues and it's not just college golf. I think college athletics has got its own issues now and uh, we're seeing it play out. Hopefully, I don't know that it'll, it'll get better because I don't think the NCAA has really the, the power to, to do much anymore. It it seems. Uh, Nicole, go ahead. You can take one more. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you went to Q school, right? You I did. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you played in the one that's in Palm Springs, stage one. You played that course. You know, I never had to do that because I was able to get through here in Florida. It was in, in Venice. What's like the, obviously you have to be playing well that week at Q school, but what's mm-hmm. like maybe some little secret, maybe tips you had while you were there to try to lower your score to make that cut? Because it's, it's a super fine line there with the cuts they have. It is a fine line. Yes. So you have to look at Q school. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true that if things don't go well at Q school, um, relegated to another year playing somewhere else or doing something. Well, if that's the case, then that may be meant to be. So you have to do everything you can to take the pressure off the, the, the reality of it's do or die, but it's not really do or die. If, if you're playing well, you're going to get through Q school. No, no problem. And, and that's, and that's what you're meant to do. So the, the real point of it then is how do I continue to get better, drive the ball, you know, drive the ball straight or hit more greens, proximity to the hole, putting up and down percentage. How do I improve all of those things? Little by little, you got to make sure that your, your goals are very process oriented because if you're very process oriented in your goals, you're going to achieve what your long-term goals are. So you stay short-term and when Q, Q school, you know, rolls around and you go to tee it up, say, hey, I've, I've been playing tournaments all year and, I, and I'm going to do the same thing I've done all year, which is one shot at a time, do the best that I can, visualize every shot before I hit it, accept the result, try and keep my emotions in check, all the things that we have to do to play good golf, stay in my own bubble. And if you do those things, you're, you're going to do the best that you could possibly do at Q school. You don't want to get to Q school and play poorly. So if you've gone to Q school and you play poorly, then you didn't stick to the things that you need to do to play well, which you are trying to do every week that you play in an event. That's why we play in events to get ready for, you know, big ones that really mean a lot to us. And um, so, yeah, we try and keep it as normal as possible. And that's, that'll be a reoccurring theme throughout your career is, you know, when you play in your first U.S. Open or your fifth U.S. Open, like, well, it's just another tournament. I'm mm-hmm. still golf. Yeah. Great, that's great advice. Thank you. You're welcome. So we want to thank that. She's a Florida women's golf legend. Thank you, Paige Dunlap, so much for coming on. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed it. This was, was really nice. You have a great podcast. You're doing a great job. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. We appreciate that. I'll remind everybody, hit that like and subscribe button. We'll see you all next time. Have a great night.